0: Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Seattle sports. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined, as always, by my co-host, John (laughs) Carey. Are you Darth Vader? I'm working on my enunciation. (laughs) Um, We've got a very, very crazy pod. We just found out today that Pete Carroll has been fired, and we're going to not talk about that too much today, because... That's not what we do. We talk about things a week late. There's just too much stuff to talk about. (laughs) Help. (laughs) Send help. (laughs) We need to break down this UW-Michigan game. We need to break down Seahawks-Cardinals. We need to talk about our value dogs and what happened this season. And we also need to talk some Mariners trades that happened last week and that we are very excited about but have not had a chance to talk about yet. Um, With all that out of the way, a little Coyote picnic for you. Okay, John. Walk me through. Anything happened with the Zags recently? Have they played two games or one game since we last talked?
1: They have played two games since San Diego State, and they've won both of them handily, beating up on Pepperdine and the other San Diego. Um, A little city revenge there. Um, But nothing unexpected. Two low-quality teams. And to be honest, it's going to be a cakewalk of the rest of the year up until Kentucky. Uh, which will be a very big game. That's in mid-February, I believe, and they are currently ranked number six. So we've got one more chance to beat a ranked opponent. But other than that, a lot of uh, WCC whoopings between now and uh, the end of the regular season.
0: Yeah. Some time to get everything kind of squared away before that Kentucky game will be nice. Very nice and very needed. <laughs> yeah. In, uh, in Pac-12 news, the UW and Wazoo women's teams both go 0-2 against Cal and Stanford um, and, yeah, don't really show too much. Obviously, Pac-12 um, records are very inflated when before the uh, conference play starts. And so this is going to be more of what we're what we're expecting to see. I don't think these teams are as good as we were talking about them. Granted, still exciting to have good teams. And I think they'll be middle of the road, but not going to be world beaters by any means. As for UW and Wazoo in basketball, uh, men's basketball, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, they both go one-on-one, beating each beating Oregon State and losing to Oregon um, uh, this last week. Dear Oregon. Yeah. Uh, the UW-Oregon uh, game was tough. They lose 76-74 on... I was watching the end of that game. They had plenty, plenty of opportunities to come back and just could not get it to go down. Um, someone who I've been surprised is getting a lot of playing time is Wilhelm Breidenbach, which has been crazy. The 6'10 dude who everybody seems to make fun of because of his goggles. Which is fair. He's a goofy-looking dude. Yeah. Boy, um, can he play. But he, he's got the defender in him. Um, and then, yeah, Wazoo, same kind of thing. They just don't don't compete as much as UW. And in other Seattle sports news, the Seattle Kraken, they won yesterday. Yep. Comeback the, victory.
1: The Buffalo 5-2, they were down 1-0, and their offense really got things clicking. It was an impressive showing. Um, we were very impressed by their goalkeeper. DeCord. Joey DeCord. I was trying to remember <laughs> his first name. It's like I knew it was a J. Um, yeah, Joey DeCord. He has been lightning since taking over the starting job from an injured Grubauer. Um, he has started for them the last nine games, is that correct? And they've gone seven and two with two overtime losses in that span.
0: And it might have been it might have been more played. He's might have Started more in a row, but since Grubauer's injury um, or placement on injured reserve, he has, yeah, started those nine games and has gone seven and two. Um, it's a really good stretch. The The Kraken are looking great. They are in the kind of just started. The Buffalo game was the first of a six game road game stretch. Um, so it's going to be a tough, tough few games here, tough couple weeks. And, and we'll see how that only, goes.
1: It's been seven straight so far. And that was a good note. That's just since Grubauer's injury. He started 22 games on the year, mostly spelling Grubauer up yep. until recently. But over that full sample size, the full 22, he has a 92 save percentage, 0.92, uh, averaging 2.3 goals against per game. That's awesome. That's that way is, better
0: than we were doing at the start.
1: That is fantastic. That is well above league average. And... Uh, yeah, recently he's just been dynamite. That paired with our offensive output just skyrocketing. Um, it's really been booing. Boo. booing, Booying. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for knowing what I meant there. I you. Gotcha. That could have been a real problem spot. <laughs> booing uh, the team on this, on this win streak.
0: Yeah, they were showing a graphic on the game yesterday. We did end up watching the Sabres game a little bit. Um, and they were talking a lot about the time of possession, and I think that's been where the Kraken have shined recently. They've been just maintaining control of the puck. And when you do that, even on the defensive end, if you're holding that hostage, the the, off, the other team's offense can't score. And that's that's the first step.
1: Yep. Our five-on-five five offense has been really awesome recently. It's nice to see that start to bounce back up after the amazing, potentially unsustainable level of last year. Um and it's been it's been everybody. Uh, Jaden Schwartz had a goal and an assist. Will Borgen, two assists. Um, yeah, the offense has just looked a lot better in recent games. And there's no one guy to point to, which was kind of the magic of this team yeah. last year, anyway.
0: Yep. Uh, anything else before we move on to the main main section of the pod? No, I suppose we have to talk about less
1: exciting developments in Seattle Sports.
0: I mean, they're they're still pretty exciting, but I wouldn't say they're developments. Well, I'll give you that one. Yes. Uh,
1: so on Monday, our UW Huskies put up an admirable effort against the Michigan Wolverines and lost thirty-four to thirteen in a game whose box score would indicate, I think, a larger disparity than was shown on the field. Um A lot to talk about. I just want to say going into it, you know, awesome season, tough way to go. Not how we necessarily expected uh, this game to go, particularly the way our offense performed. Um, But I don't think it was super fluky. What brought us down was a team that finally committed to what has been our Achilles heel all year, and that is trying to stop the run. And Michigan just decided, wait, you know, We don't necessarily trust McCarthy to some huge level. We're not going to let him be Quinn Ewers. We're going to let him throw the ball 18 times. He threw the ball 18 times for 140 yards, and they put up 34 points. And that was thanks to the efforts of Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. 27 rushes, 240 yards, and four touchdowns for those two guys. And it's a team that finally just said, we know how to beat this Utah team. We're just going to run the ball. Constantly.
0: I I see where you're coming from. And I think in a way that the run the run game in the first half really killed us, or maybe it was even the first quarter. After that, UW's defense played stellar. What happened after after that was UW committed two interceptions that caused Michigan to get the ball within the 20. Yes. And they, you know, obviously that last one gave them seven points from the whatever it was 80 yard return from St. Um which was great. Good, good for him. But um, I think that was a facet of UW trying to overperform what they were capable of at that time in the game and just trying to, you know, make something happen. Uh, yeah, Penix was very, very bad. 27 for 51. He tried to throw the ball 51 times. And we also had only 20 carries, and Dylan Johnson had 11 of them for 33. Our run game was non-existent. And when I look at that, what I see is the Michigan defensive line, Yes. finally, a team was able to stop us. Or at least put a hamper to Michael Penix's crazy, crazy season. Because all things considered, he still had 255 yards. He just had a touchdown. 255
1: yards on 50 passing attempts is not impressive um this is you know we're gonna have things to say about michael Penix. we love michael Penix. he's had a tremendous season this was not his best game it was far from it but to your point a lot of credit goes to that michigan defensive line not only did they completely stuff the run which you know dj was also hurt like noticeably the, the entire game um But simultaneously, they were able to pressure Penix in a way that no other team has. The sack numbers weren't horrible. I think they had one sack. He was constantly having to bob and weave. And not in the like fun, I'm in control, and seeing this defense two steps ahead way that he was against Texas. In the like, oh shit, oh shit, dodge left, dodge right, huck a ball downfield. And hope somebody's there. Correct. The last couple drives. So, to your point... You're right. It was the first half that they really demolished us in the run. They got 200 of their 240 yards rushing in the first half. After the first half, and really mostly after the first quarter, but after the first half, the UW defense played much better. UW was actually able to crawl back into this game and hold it at a seven-point game for a long time. and Their defense kept getting stops. And their offense just wasn't able to move the ball and they had to punt. They had to punt more times in this game than they may have had to all season. Um, and then Michigan scored 14 of their 34 in the last couple of minutes with, you know, some UW desperation moves that, you know, turned into turnovers and then Michigan had short field. So you're right. Uh, this was a, a game of Michigan starting and finishing very strong with a, Little bit of chance for Dub there in the middle, thanks to their defense. Um, we have to, yeah, we need to talk about the elephant in the room, Michael Pennix. Um, he has been a stud all year. He had his best game of the season, I think, with no doubt, against Texas in the Sugar Bowl. Um, he, damn near flawless. He, he couldn't be stopped. And this is a game where he really struggled from start to finish. Um, obviously... Credit to the Michigan D-line for hampering him and stymieing the run game to such a point that they knew a pass was coming on every single play. So not exactly friendly environment to be trying to compete for a national championship, but he really struggled, and he was missing guys. That's what was so surprising is he was missing guys that were open, he was sailing balls, and then the really tough throws that he's been hitting over the shoulder downfield all year he just couldn't seem to get a handle on. It was long all night until late in the fourth, and then he threw a couple short ones, which turned into two turnovers.
0: Yeah. The uh there's a couple passes to Adunze that did not go the way that we that we wanted. He had a couple overthrows that were overthrown by like five yards. Like they weren't close. Correct. Um obviously there was that holding call um, that was a little little yep. iffy yep. Um, on the big play to Adunze. Um, that was and that was in the fourth when the game was still a seven point that game. Seven, that was the biggest, um, call. and I think that was the big turning point. And every UW fan will point to that and say that that decided the game, which to some extent can be said because you know we're down seven, we're driving, and that just gets halted because of a ten yard penalty, and you, it's tough to recover from that when you haven't had anything else clicking.
1: Yeah, from first and ten to second and twenty, Not yeah. a good place to be.
0: Um, so I think I think all that considered, you're right. Penix did not have the game that we wanted him to have, and he looked incredibly injured that fourth quarter. And I think it probably happened sometime in the first or second where he just got hit and couldn't really recover um, both mentally and physically. Yes. Just because he he was scared of taking a big hit for the rest of the game. Yeah,
1: and he was holding his chest every time out. Like, he was obviously beat up. So, once again... We love Michael Penix. The man is a brother to me. He's going to be a first-round <laughs> first draft pick. We, we we're very excited for him and his future. But with all the laurels that we heaped on him after the Texas game, I think it's fair to say this is the worst game I have seen him play in terms of output while wearing a Huskies uniform. And that credit, a lot of it can go to the defense that he's playing against. But I think that's true.
0: I think – I, I can't remember right now if the Arizona or Arizona State game yeah, was the one that, was, that we didn't score an offensive touchdown, but.
1: You're right. Maybe that was worse. He might have thrown three picks in that game.
0: Yeah. Um, but either, either way, I think this is. With the the stage and everything, this is this was a tough way. It's also his first loss this season. We we won that game, correct? Um, Which this this is, was a tough again, way to see him go.
1: We're not trying to be too tough on the guy. We know what he's provided. It speaks to how great that he's been. Yeah, a two hundred and fifty yard one touchdown two pick game is down near the bottom of his performances. But I think it is.
0: I we're being too nice to this team, dude. The the defense in that first quarter, like I appreciate the adjustments that were made, but they Michigan had. Three or four like huge twenty yard runs that just gashed us. Correct. To first start the two game,
1: touchdowns were both over thirty yards on the ground.
0: And when that happens, it's just like okay, like I appreciated them turning it up, but we're down fourteen to three, and it's it's it was the defense's fault there, and we had to we were on our heels the entire time. It was what we wanted to do to Michigan. Yeah. And yeah, UW just didn't perform until. They got going. I think that second quarter was probably the best they were looking. Yeah. And going into the half.
1: Well, I think the third quarter is the best that they were looking
0: for. Well, going into the half, it was 10-17, it was 10, 17, and we had the ball. And then first play, Penix throws an interception. Yes. And it's just like, it's over after that. Like That was our opportunity to come back, and Michigan was just, was just able to put it away.
1: Yeah, they stomped on it right there. Um, this is a hot take in terms of strategy, I mean, in terms of what's generally agreed as good strategy. And it's also a case of... Uh, a little hindsight, but I honestly think I disagree with UW's choice to defer on the opening coin toss. So they won the coin toss. Tails never fails. Called it at the bar. But um <laughs> they chose to defer because that is what everybody in the football community has agreed you should do strategically. I get it. I get it. With the way we wanted this game to go, but the offense keeping pressure on Michigan's offense to put up points, keeping the pressure on, you saw right out of the gate. They scored the opening touchdown. They made it look easy. And that put UW's offense in a place where they were playing tight. And it only got worse from there. I honestly think, <laughs> with hindsight being twenty twenty. Uh, it would have been strategically sound to choose to receive the opening kickoff to try and put up points immediately and put pressure on this team.
0: As you knock your phone on the ground. Okay, I'm making a point. <laughs> uh, I disagree. I think the UW offense has played from behind in enough games to know that they have that capability. Yeah. And I think, they, I think the defense wasn't ready for what Michigan was throwing at them. At, on the from the offensive line perspective. The offensive line was great for Michigan and that was really what won the run game. Was they created holes that were big enough for Corum and Edwards to get out and run mm-hmm. and they were just faster and could get away from our our backs and linebackers. Well, and
1: that's part of the problem. There's there's a reason everybody's been running on us all year and that's that our secondary is small and our linebackers are slow. And it's just it's just true it helps with things like you know rushing the passer we got some big strong linebackers that are capable of working around the line of scrimmage but they're slow it's the reason that teams have been ripping off big runs against us all year
0: well and in, in in that regard i think the the, their line is what was able to win it because Trice had no effect at all this game. Absolutely And I, th- I think, yeah, our defensive line was unable to really seal any sort of tackles. Do we have a safety or any tackles for losses? I don't remember th- seeing any. I don't. I'm not sure. Or not safety, sack. Um, oh. Yeah, we had one sack. That was it. Yeah.
1: yeah. I also, for what it's worth, Michigan's offensive line, also one of the best in the country. Uh, Their offensive and defensive lines were both ranked top five in the country, and so not necessarily a surprise that we weren't able to pressure, especially with the way they were running the ball.
0: Yeah, and I think you and I speak to this a lot, and I don't know if we say it too much on the pod, but we both are in agreement that like winning the game requires winning in the trenches. Like The offensive line and defensive lines of the best teams are always the best. You think of the Cowboys offense right now, you think of— the Browns, the only reason the Browns are good is because of their defensive line. Like they keep the other other teams from scoring. And it's just, those kinds of things are what separate teams. And Michigan had one of the best matchups in that regard on both the offensive side and defensive side of the ball that we've seen all season. Like we compared them to Oregon. And I think, I think they were way better than Oregon from what I saw.
1: Yep. From what we saw, that would appear to be the case offensively. Maybe not, but their defense seemed to be on a whole nother level. Um, yeah, and don't underestimate the other aspects too. Like, defensive line's great, but they had really fast linebackers and their secondary was elite. Their secondary played really well, little separation all game, other than a couple missed opportunities with a Dunze. And yeah, I just, I was pretty impressed. So, I uh, will have a little more to say about UW when we get to our, our football 2024 winners and losers, but is there anything else you want to say before we move on to another playoff demise?
0: No, <laughs> I I'm done talking about this game. I've talked with it about it with like 18 different friends, yeah. and all of them are like, "This sucked." But yeah, but we looked bit, we looked worse. You
1: know what? Did not suck. Beating Texas in the Sugar Bowl, making it to the national championship for the first time in program history. You're not going to win them all. Take it from a ZAG fan.
0: That's fair. Sometimes
1: you got to appreciate <laughs> just getting there. <laughs> Um, Okay, moving on to from depressing to depressing. At the Seattle Seahawks, their playoff is over before it begins. Um, They pull out a nail-biter 21-20 victory over the Arizona Cardinals that required a game-winning field goal from Matt Prater to miss left. Um, Matt Prater has been one of the best long field goal kickers in NFL history, so They needed a little luck to pull out the win.
0: You think he got paid for that to keep them in that draft position? (laughs) That was a win-win for Matt. (laughs) Yeah, there's
1: no losing for him. Um, But they did not get lucky in that the Green Bay Packers beat up on the (laughs) Chicago Bears and secured the last wild card for themselves. So, the Seahawks season is over. Pete Carroll has been shifted into another role. Um, As they like to put it. Correct. And uh, I think we're going to see a lot of change. The only reason you move on from Pete Carroll, we can get into this a little bit, but the only reason you move on from a guy like him, who's so respected in the community, so loved by Seahawks fans, and so successful year in and year out, nine and eight is not exactly a failure of a year. Um, The only reason you move on from that is if you're thinking about major changes, um, so this might be the last time we see this iteration of the Seahawks, uh, however that change may come. So what are your thoughts on the game specifically and on the end of the season and on potentially the end of an era in Seattle Seahawks football?
0: The way that Seahawks That's football... A lot. That's a a lot yeah. to put on you. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. I got this. The way that Seahawks football has been played this year, we've been talking about it the last couple weeks. Yeah. It's smash mouth football. It's keeping the game somewhere in the low twenties, high teens, and trying to win on these last few possessions. And that way it works when you have people that can finish the game and you know take over games sometimes with with a DK type player. Um, you but you
1: help with that. An offensive line might be nice.
0: Yeah, it would be nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in games like today, where you have the Cardinals miss a field goal, like things like that are things that happen when you have Pete Carroll and a smash mouth type uh, organization. And I think what's going to happen and what's been a long time coming is the Seahawks front office ownership, whoever it is, they want to move on from that and want to be more like a sustainable offense with a franchise QB with uh, not air raid, but you know, something, something more along the lines of where we see the NFL going right now. Sure. And I think Pete Carroll just didn't have the it's kind of like the bill belichick thing right now where bill belichick hasn't changed his ways in the last 25 years and it's not like he's really going to change that yeah and this has worked for the seahawks for the last decade and a half with pete carroll yes but it's just i just don't think it's where they want to go pete's pete's 73 now it's like yeah he's he's past his prime in that regard
1: a lot of that makes sense um and, you know, looking at his tenure, I think something like 16 years with the team. Um, 14. 14 years with the team. You can't say anything but that it was a huge success. They I mean, obviously won the Super Bowl in 2013. They were a play away the following year. And, you know, you can put that on Pete as much as you want. But the fact is he got them there twice. Um, and this team has been really awesome. He has always been a defensive coach. And his offensive style... Has always been unsustainable. Looking, even looking back at those, you know, successful Seahawks teams in the mid 2010s, you know, you had Marshawn Lynch running the ball behind another rickety ass offensive line. And you had Russell Wilson just hucking deep balls to some talented, speedy receivers. But that's no way they've never played to win the game on offense. They just never have. And as, you know, they've missed on some draft picks. They've made some trades that didn't necessarily pan out. um, And that defense has come down to more middle of the pack. They can't keep playing offense this way. They just can't. Look at their offense this year. Like, what is it? They have two talented running backs, but no offensive line. They've got three talented receivers and a mediocre quarterback. And they play, like, a prevent offense that is not... You know, aiming to score 35 points a game, even though they have all this talented receiver and no offensive line, it's, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's really easy to poke holes in it very generally. And to Pete's credit, awesome coach, awesome defensive coach. I'm, I'm not sure they've ever had a year defensively where you would say the unit underperformed for their talent level. It's always the other way. Even this year, we thought their defense was going to be pretty mediocre, and they stepped up in a big way. So he's great at what he does, but I'm not surprised that they're looking for a change on that side of the ball.
0: Yeah, Pete is, and again, I love Pete Carroll. I think we he's love Pete Pete's Carroll. A great dude. We support I want him to stay with the organization and do all these things. If he wants to do a podcast, we know one that would love to have him. <laughs> um, he's just like the defensive style that he taught or has you know always gone through was more emotional, I feel like, than most of the defenses that are run nowadays where it's like, okay, you have to be responding to the offense. And his main thing was calling them to step up to the game because each game matters. Yeah. And I feel like that's just not how football is played. It's so much more analytical in that regard. Like offensive and defensive coordinators are playing chess every single game, every play.
1: He's an energy guy for sure. And that's not to say you don't see the results on the field because you do. You do. But I get what you're saying. There's a reason he's still running sprints at 73 or whatever.
0: The other side of being an energy guy is that's not a head coaching gig. You could be the energy guy and be anywhere on the field. You don't have to be the head coach. You just got to get the guys energized.
1: <laughs> What's tough is I would love for him to slide into, like, a defensive coordinator role, honestly. Even with what you are saying, being recognized, I I think he'd be a great DC. He just can't do it in Seattle. He His name carries too much weight. He, it would... Automatically undermine the new head coach, even if he supported the new head coach. You just you can't have that guy in that position. It'd be like if Magic Johnson was the head coach of the Lakers. It's like, or or sorry, like an assistant coach on the Lakers. You can't. You just can't have a guy like that backing up a head coach. So, um, yeah. Do you I, do you have anything to say about that game specifically, the 21-20 game against the Cardinals? It wasn't. Remarkable, really, in any way. Gino was pretty ho hum.
0: Gino was exactly what we expect. Like we've been, like he, like yep. he's been performing in in the games we win. That's exactly what we want from Gino. Yes. Sixteen for twenty eight, hundred eighty nine yards, two touchdowns.
1: Kenneth Walker had a nice game on the ground.
0: Decent game. Uh, Gino spreading the ball a decent amount. No receiver had more than three receptions though. That's something to note. It's just like there's no particular target, and I feel like that's what makes a good team too. Is just like the reliability guy. Well, yeah, and just. Um,
1: yeah, there's something to be said about being able to go back to the same guy again and again. I think, you know, it's a talent to be able to look all over the field, but it also speaks to the fact that once a defense will converge on their best guy a little bit, he will look away from that. Whereas, like, Matt Stafford could have <laughs> could have DK <laughs> quadruple covered and would sidearm it in to get it to him anyway, you know. That's not necessarily Geno's strong suit.
0: There's just so much to be said about how unconventional the Seahawks are. And I think this game is – is, and, God, the last few – are just great re- representations of it with the way that their offense is run and everything we've said before. It's just – they're so unconventional. And I think this will lead further into the Pete Carroll discussion that we'll probably have at a later date about who to replace him. Um, yeah, a lot how of things are going to go. Uh, that might happen sooner rather than later, and maybe it'll be next week we're already talking about his replacement. But for now, I think it's – Interesting to see the way that the Seahawks want to go. I think it's going to be much more conventional in the sense of they want a bigger, bigger, higher-powered higher offense, and they want their defense to be it's, – it's kind of either-or, honestly. You either have a great offense or a great defense. You kind of pick where you spend well, your money. Tell it but. to the
1: Cowboys. I mean, there, there are ways of doing it both ways. But, yeah, and it's telling that I, from what I've heard, Dan Quinn's the name being thrown around, who's the Dallas D.C.
0: And with the history in Seattle, he was the defensive coordinator during the Legion of Boom.
1: Yes, exactly. And bring him back. I'm sure he's a guy Pete respects a lot if he stays with the organization. And um, yeah, talk about a guy that's been doing some great work with the X's and O's up in Dallas. So um, would definitely be a welcome welcome help for the defense. I'm I'm curious (laughs) what his offensive philosophy is, if any, or if he would have uh guy in mind to kind of take control of that offense because he doesn't necessarily represent you know the new dawn for the seattle seahawks offense so we'll see we were speculating at this point but uh yeah rest in peace 2024 seattle seahawks missed it by that
0: much i i'm okay with it they weren't they weren't very good this year i we we figured they were going to be a 10-7-9-8 team and when you go 9-8 out of those two options it's not looking great
1: and when you need a missed field goal to beat the Arizona Cardinals, maybe it's best you don't have to play Dallas in the first round. Maybe <laughs> maybe we would just call it there and move on. So.
0: Uh, you ready for this next segment? I think it's going to be fun. I'm not only
1: ready, I'm excited, and I desperately want to go first. Okay,
0: I'll let you go first, but let me let me break it down for the listener. Please. Uh, John and I each picked two winners and two losers from the, we'll call it Washington, the state of Washington football teams and – just the regular the football seasons that they had and what that means for them, potentially their future, all these things. We picked two winners and losers, and John wants to go first. Pick so a bad. winner or a loser, buddy. So bad. I, I need it. I,
1: I, wasn't, I, I wasn't sure that you'd bring him up, but I have to because I think he is easily, easily the biggest winner in in Washington football this year. Easily. Okay. It is... Head coach, Kalen DeBoer. Okay,
0: I wasn't sure where you were going to go, but this is the
1: dude. (laughs) Yeah, and and you know, the reason I'm so pumped about this is because there are other guys. We're going to list three other guys that we think are huge winners from this year. But when I'm telling you, like seismic difference, orders of magnitude difference, like this guy is a huge, huge winner. First things first. He led U Dub to their first college football playoff championship you know, appearance in the history of the you know, relatively young playoff. Led them to a Sugar Bowl win over Texas after beating them last year in the Alabama Bowl. By the way, We've Alabama got- Bowl. <laughs> the Alamo Bowl. <laughs> Alabama. You're right. <laughs> Remember the Alabama, right? The Alamo Bowl. Uh, so two and zero in bowl games against Texas, which is just great to see. So great. Um, it's like Gonzaga beating beating uh, UCLA. It's all I want. Um, and, yeah, just to give just a little bit of context. This guy was coaching at Fresno State two years ago. Two years ago, he was at Fresno State where he led the Bulldogs to a 9-3 and regular season record. Three losses in 2021 at Fresno State. In the last two years, he has lost a combined three games... <laughs> Playing in the Pac-12, he had an awesome year last year, 11-2 overall, 3-0 against ranked teams last year. This year, 6-1 against ranked teams.
0: And the one loss was to the number one ranked team. Correct.
1: So he is 9-1 as a D1, I guess President of State might be D1, but as a, you know, a big, big five power conference head coach, 9-1 against ranked teams, three combined losses in two seasons, This guy has come out of nowhere, and I bet you money if he called Alabama and said, hey, sorry about Saban, you're looking for a new head coach, they would seriously consider bringing him in. He came from Fresno State to that in two years. Um, We'll talk about some other guys. I think DeBoer is is chicken dinner level winner.
0: Do you know where DeBoer started? Because I do. I'm just asking if you know.
1: I, re- I heard a story about it during the national... It wasn't... He, he was, like... He was working at, like... University
0: a, of Sioux Falls in, like, Nebraska, where... His alma mater was, yeah. like, where he started coaching.
1: But even before that, they were talking about how he wanted to get into coaching but couldn't, and he was, like, working at, like, a gas station, like, living with his parents, like, trying to get
0: his coaching career off the ground.
1: And this was, like, six or seven, maybe, like, eight years ago.
0: It was It was a couple decades ago, probably. No, he, no, he's no. been around for a while in the yeah, football oh, yeah. scene, I, but he was... was at Fresno State probably six or seven years ago.
1: Well, he was at Fresno State three years ago. Well, though. yeah, but that's when he started. Anyways.
0: <laughs> um,
1: Yeah, so his rise has been precipitous. Yeah. Um,
0: Succeeded at every single level. Yes.
1: And he is with the departure. How's this for a hot take? With the departure of Pete Carroll and with all the frustration around Mark Few, I think Kalen DeBoer is the most beloved head coach in the state of Washington. Right now.
0: I have no argument for that. Yeah. I mean, Scott's service for the Mariners, maybe, but uh, people don't love him. No. He's, he's a serviceable manager.
1: Correct. He's not led them to anywhere near the heights that Kalen DeBoer has. He's been fantastic. He's been nothing short of fantastic. His offensive scheming has been fantastic. And obviously the defense needs some work. That will come. But the offense, the way it's cooking right now, um, yeah, that's my guy. The number one pick. Winner, I, like, winner, I love Moore. that.
0: I, I think we stick with winners then. I wanted to see which way you would go. And yeah. I will go with... Were you considering
1: him as one of your winners?
0: No, I didn't have him written down. I, I figured you would have him. Yeah. <laughs> if we didn't, I would have adjusted. But anyways, my first winner that I want to talk about is another Washington player. Yeah, we're going to have a couple Huskies <laughs> we'll in the We'll winner, have a couple so Huskies. Um, and he's a guy who we've talked about a lot this year. But as somebody who was a tertiary option, um, maybe even a fourth option, and I just want to give him his love. Uh, Jack Westover had one of the best. He, he was a walk on to start, and he had one of the best turnarounds over four years that I've ever seen. He comes this comes in this year and is still kind of feels like our number two option behind Culp, and he and Culp end up basically flip flopping. Roll, you know. They're kind of both one A, one B's, and Westover is our go-to guy on third downs. He becomes our, you know, he becomes basically a wide receiver or like the Travis Kelsey of this team. And he was massive in that Texas game. He was massive in the Michigan game when he could when he could get the ball. Yeah, just every single time we we threw the ball to him, he came up big. And the
1: fact that he's worth talking about on a team with two receivers that might go in the first round speaks to the kind of year that he's had.
0: He catapulted himself up NFL draft draft boards. Is he year. coming back? Do you know? I think he's a senior. I need to check really quick. Okay. but So he either will or will not be back. But
1: yeah, tight ends. They're always looking for good tight ends in the league. I'm a little surprised. There are so many winners to be discussed. Um, that seems like more of a personal victory as opposed to a a,
0: a major victory. But hey, we each get a pick. Yeah, I just like there were a lot of players that for for UW that I would have liked to talk about, but they were all projected to be good, and so in that regard, I think uh, Westover was everything that we wanted and so much more this year. Yeah, and we're talking about winners, people who who shifted their role, not stayed the same or performed to expectations. So that's why I want to talk about. It. That's fair. Um, all right. Well,
1: I'll bring up. We'll shift tones here a little bit and I'll bring up my first loser. Um, and losers are losers are a little bit tough. Um but I think I'm gonna go I don't think it's that much of a surprise. I'm gonna go with Geno Smith of the Seattle Seahawks. And
0: now you're taking all the big shots, man.
1: <laughs> we are are leaving them for me. You're leaving them for me. This isn't a draft. <laughs> yeah. And I'm gonna take him because I think he's a loser in three different regards. Not all of them are his fault. First way that he's a loser is that it was a down year, statistically, down year in terms of performance, down year in terms of, you know, fan reception. Um, Yeah, and just in terms of did he meet expectations? No, he was below expectations this year. That makes him a slight loser. He's a loser in the second regard because, obviously, Seattle is thinking about making some major changes this offseason. Um, and I think he is the first person to be looked at when the words major changes come up. Um, if you would have told me that, you know, either Pete Carroll or Geno Smith was going to be gone this off season, I would have put, you know, a thousand bucks saying that it was Geno. I thought, you know, Pete was more, more of a part of the infrastructure. So the fact that Pete's gone, I do not think bodes well for Geno. We don't know that for sure. Um. But there are going to be a lot more eyes on him in a more critical way this next season. No matter what, um, new head coaches, new you know management is always looking to make a change, and he's going to be the first guy looked at. And the last way that I think he's a loser is that he's kind
0: of getting the shaft
1: a tiny bit <laughs> because coming from somebody that was a huge Geno fan last year and has been pretty disappointed in him this year, and pretty vocal in my disappointment, I've spent the last couple minutes staring at his 2022 and 2023 seasons and thinking to myself, these are pretty similar. Um, so let me tell you how his statistics changed in those two years. His completion percentage dropped 5%. That's significant. That's not a drop you want to see, um, but it's not exactly unheard of. His passing yards in total dropped about 600 yards, he played in two less games in terms of yards per game 10 less yards per game he threw 10 less touchdowns but once again two less games and he threw two less interceptions this year than he did last year um so when you kind of just obviously those are just the numbers and eye test wise i think we would all agree that he was less dynamic this year than he was last um I would not be surprised if Gino's a little frustrated with all the finger pointing coming his way when he did a pretty good job replicating uh, last season's
0: effort. That's a really, really good point, really good analysis. Uh, I think. Thanks, I'm pretty great. I, what can I say? I give you your props every once in a while. <laughs> um, Gino has. I think last year was his breakout year because Russell Wilson had left. And so it was like, okay, Gino Smith has the car keys and he was a you know a perpetual backup and this was his first time to be a starter for a full season he now replicated those numbers but because of just the way that the media was talking about him last year it changed how people thought he was going to perform this year and this year he doesn't have those like oh he's a backup expectations yeah and i think that's just what it is yeah. it's it's kind of like i guess maybe we could point to like baker mayfield this year and mm-hmm. it's like he he he's been bad for the last little bit. But so like, now that he's good. So now that he's good like, this year, yeah. but it's like, if he replicates these numbers next year, people might think he's bad again. It's just like the perpetual, like, expectations yes. of and being a starting quarterback.
1: And also second year in a new offense, when you performed well the first year, people expect you to play better the second year, not worse. So I'm not saying it's completely unfair, but I, I as somebody who has been lobbing darts at Gino and who does still believe that the future will likely lie in another direction... Um, I feel a little bad for the guy. He kind of just did the same thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. Uh, I will take my first loser here. And somebody who we both really appreciated early on in the season. And his outcome has changed a little bit coming into the end of the season. Cam Ward from Ooh. Washington State. Uh, yeah, we got a Washington State player in here. We're not just UW fans. That's right. <laughs> we, we're equal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he hops in the transfer portal at the end of the season. WC doesn't make a bowl game. He starts off getting Heisman discussion after four games. wc's ranked in the top 20. Correct. He's having a great season and finishes the year. I think they finished five and seven, but they finished the year one and seven. It's crazy. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, decides to go to the transfer portal and then kind of backs out of that and jumps to the NFL draft where there's currently like eight quarterbacks ahead of him. It, it's, is, it doesn't make yeah. any sense for him to to join, to go to the draft. And I don't really see what the point of that was, but yeah, a a pretty large fall from grace. And a lot of people were expecting pretty big things from him in terms of like people thought he was going to go to LSU or even come to UW. And it was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go try my, try my hand at the draft. And I just, I just don't see that boding well for him.
1: Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head, a massive loser in two regards. One being that's what a, disastrous end of the year it was for Wazoo after that start. And, you know, maybe top 20 in the country wasn't sustainable for the level of talent on that team, but it was. It was a collapse, and it wasn't all his fault, certainly, but he contributed to it. His stats went down measurably from the start of the year to the end. And then the other one being, this is a disaster of a decision by Cam Ward. There was a time about halfway into the season when Penix was projected to be a late second, early third round pick, um, where I was thinking, man, so tough this year. There are so many good quarterbacks really sucks to be Michael Penix. Another year, he could be a first round pick, but he has to go this year. And, uh, it's just, it is what it is. And obviously with the year he's had, he will now be a first or early second round pick. I personally think he might follow the second, but we'll see. Um, Cam Ward, my guy, you are going to be, like, a seventh-round pick. You are going to be making dominoes money on the bench somewhere instead of with NIL. He could be making real money at UW or LSU or any of these big programs that are in desperate need of a quarterback. Not only is he absolutely going to make less money in the NFL next year than he would as the starting quarterback for a contender, uh... He's also costing him money in the long term, because next year's quarterback draft isn't nearly the draft we have this year. And he could be a he could be a top 15 pick next year if he shows out. You and I both believe he has the talent. Yes. Absolutely mind-boggling decision.
0: He's he could have been next year's Jaden Daniels. Like that's Jaden Daniels was Arizona State guy Mm -hmm. and went to LSU and, you know, got the recognition, got kind of gave him uh, coach gave him the car keys yeah he's Um, gonna be a top five pick yeah he could have he could have been that but (laughs) instead he's gonna go in the sixth and be. oh he could be brock purdy but he's he's not gonna be uh he's not gonna be making money right off the bat that's for sure
1: yeah and guess what for every successful brock purdy story there are a lot of unsuccessful ones um no it's a great point he could also be another guy um what was his name uh michael Penix uh coming out of (laughs) indiana like Ah, just such a questionable decision. And I think what he, you know, I don't know his decision-making, but something he's not considering is it's not just about how talented you are. Where you're drafted really matters. If you are a top, you know, if you're a first-round pick or a second-round pick, teams have invested in you, and because of that, you are going to have a way longer leash when it comes to learning curve. They're going to stick by you because even if they're like, oh, we don't love this guy, they can't just cut capital. It looks bad. If you get drafted in the seventh round and start slow and get cut, nobody's going to care because you were a seventh-round pick. And then you're a former quarterback, seventh-round pick that got cut. It's going to be a lot harder to get another opportunity with another team. I think, yeah, I just don't understand. Yeah, He might be the biggest loser. I I should have picked him. <laughs> well it's all you know <laughs> well i i'm gonna go this is kind of different it's kind of the same in some ways but it very very different in terms of vibe this guy did not make any bad decisions um and i'm sorry to have to put him there this is going to be a controversial one are we putting this in the losers this is a loser this is my second loser i'm picking dylan johnson running back for the U huskies that's fair um i'm doing it for a couple of reasons uh He has been awesome. He has been so good for this team when he's healthy. And I'm not going to hold it against him that in two games where he's been visibly injured, he has not put up big numbers. I get it. Um, But to have the year that he had and to be the crucial part of the offense that he was, especially late, and to then put up a couple stinkers like he did in the Sugar Bowl and the Natty, has got to just be heart-wrenchingly disappointing for him. And once again, not his fault, but it sucks. You know, before the national championship, they're showing the stats, you know, 130 yards per game in the last, you know, six games for UW. And he just couldn't do it against Texas, and he couldn't do it against Michigan. And that's just one aspect of it. He had the fall from grace statistically, you know, be it from injuries or whatever. But there's also the fact that he was the third most important player on this offense, uh for the UW Huskies this year. It was probably Penix, Adunze, Johnson, and then Polk is probably what I would say.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and Michael Penix is gonna be a first round pick. And Roma Adunze is going to be a first round pick, pick. And Jalen Polk is projected to be a late first, early second round pick. And here he is, a fifth year senior, going to the draft, and he's projected to be a late fifth, early sixth round pick. And with running backs, he could drop like a stone. Um, and I just think that kind of sucks for him, you know. <laughs> it sucks for him in the way that it sucks for Drew Timmy to put up big stats in college and be such an important part of that team, but not have it reflect in the next level. And that's, you know, if he does make a team, he'll probably be a backup running back, and he'll watch some of his former teammates go on to be stars. It just kind of sucks for Dylan Johnson.
0: I love Dylan Johnson. Uh, and I say this with all the respect in the world for him, he's kind of got the situation right now that Michael Penix had before the season mm-hmm. where it was like Penix, he's he's shown that he's a great quarterback, great passer, but the reason the teams don't want to pick him early is because of his injury history. And that's kind of it. Yeah. And Dylan Johnson has shown everything that he needed to this year. Um except he's been injured and he's gotten injured the like last three games that we've played. He's just been, and just the more recurring injuries you have as a running back, the less and less teams want to take any sort of risk on you Mm -hmm. because, you know, they're investing in you, they're putting money into you. And if you're going to be injured the entire time, it's not worth it to them. Correct.
1: And running backs with injuries, it's so, it can be so compound. Which is part of it too. It's like he got one little nick against Oregon that made it, he was a little beat up in Texas, and you're running a little bit different, and suddenly another thing's hurt, and then it just compounded again against Michigan. But that's a huge underrated piece of this, too. He has been an iron man this year. Yeah,
0: he's been amazing. I loved having him on this team.
1: It just sucks to see it. He cracked a 1,000 yeah. yards on this team. He was there every single game, and then the two biggest games of the year where every scout in the country is watching, he's injury-riddled and can't run the ball. That sucks for dylan johnson that is so frustrating like he could have missed arizona arizona state in the middle of the year and missed the same amount of games and just played decent in these two games and his outlook would be totally different but now when anybody looks at him in terms of scouting they're going to see the guy that was injured for both
0: of u playoff games there's also the aspect of the when you look at the the running backs for Michigan and the running backs for or running back basically yes. for Washington they're obviously both both sides of those can be compared but i think the big thing for a running back especially in college is your offensive line is a huge huge factor as to huge. how good you can be huge and that's the same thing in the nfl honestly but UW's offensive line was, they won that award for being the best offensive line in the country, and that was because of their pass protection. It was not because they were able to get Dylan Johnson any sort of run holes. No.
1: He's been great all year about fighting for yards. He's not been a guy that is hitting open gaps all the time and busting off these big runs. And that's another part of it, too, is when you're looking at running backs to draft, you're looking for explosiveness because you can teach the rest. Yeah. And he's a guy, he's a lot like a Drew Timmy figure where he's smart, And he runs hard and he knows where to be and he can catch the football, but he's not super explosive, which really cuts down on his ceiling.
0: What's crazy is, did you see the clip of Austin Eckler like a few weeks ago where he was just like running down the sideline and it just didn't look like he had a second gear? I just, that's like what Dylan Johnson looks like, but right now. Austin
1: Eckler, yeah, is 30, (laughs) 31. Um, So Um, yeah, I'm surprised. I thought you were going to fight me a little more on that one. No,
0: I. I love Dylan Johnson, but I fully agree with you. He's a he's a loser coming out of this season. Not that he's right. a bad player no, or anything no. like that.
1: Cam, yeah, Cam Ward's a loser for his decision making. Dylan Johnson's a loser because life just kind of did him dirty this year. Yeah. We love him to death. He yeah, I love DJ. I
0: hope he doesn't listen to this. This feels like we're ragging on. No, no. Yeah. I hope he takes it as motivation. <laughs> I hope he gets
1: drafted in the fifth round and tears
0: it up and that was a great player. I believe in him. Alright, I guess I'll stick with my second loser here. Um, we can end on a high note that way. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, and I will go with another U player. Um, well, I don't know that you were that you had on your radar for this pick, but I'm going to go with Jalen McMillan. Wow. Uh, mainly because he. Broke his hand in the third game yeah. and then came back for the Pac-12 championship and Texas and Wasn't Michigan. really
1: a part of the season.
0: and Yeah, he wasn't really a part of the season. And he was a top 100 player in college football, projected-wise, um, by ESPN. Like He was, I think, number 85 when we talked about it at the start of the year. And obviously, he's fallen out of that with his ability to only play six games of the 15. He'll be back, right? He was a, a junior this year? I don't think so. I think he's going to the draft. We'll have to check that as well. Um, But yeah, Jalen McMillan breaks his hand, obviously a very crucial thing, um, and really was unable to generate too much offense or too much uh, separation in any of the—he had a a decent stretch during the Texas game, but the Michigan game, he was a non-factor, six catches for 33 yards. Uh, Texas, he had—he just really didn't show many deep threats upon his return, I think is where where i land on him. Um, he really, really shined going for those like third and long plays, and from there, I think it's it's tough to see him make a huge step forward next year. Uh, yeah, that's that's all I got for him.
1: He is he's he's committed to the draft. Yeah. Um, so he's 22. So he's probably a senior, and he has committed to the draft. Um, yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. He's a loser because he did miss out on a big chunk of this season and and. With, a, you know, Adunze and Polk will always be able to look at this year at Dub what they accomplished.
0: And with McMillan, he was so big. Those first three games, they were, all three of them were averaging 100 yards a game, yeah. the first three yeah. games. And he came back and was huge in the Pac-12 championship.
1: He was big against Texas. Yeah. He caught that amazing tip touchdown. Um, that, that was Polk. Oh, that was Polk. Um, regardless, he had a nice game against Texas. I don't think he did much against Michigan, but... Um, he just won't be able to own this season the way that they did. Um, and in terms of projection, like I said, Adunze is a locked in first round pick. I've seen him projected as high as four. We'll get into that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and Polk, who was uh, McMillan's freaking understudy, uh, is now projected to be a late first round, early second round guy. And I just looked at it. McMillan, they're thinking late third. Um, they're thinking he's a day two guy. So, uh, you know, he'll be fine, <laughs> he'll make some money, and he'll play in the league, and he might be very, very good. We we certainly wish him well. But, uh, yeah, this year did not go the way that he was hoping that it would go.
0: Yeah, I think with him being there the full season, UW would have gotten that much more respect and just been in that much better of a position. They would to... have beaten
1: Arizona State by more than three. Yeah,
0: that's for sure. Um, yeah, it, it just I think it was kind of one of those circumstances of like, Things happened to him this year. I think he would have been in Polk's position if he hadn't fall or gotten injured. And it's just when that happens, it's tough to tough to bounce back and got to live with it.
1: Wow. Nice. Well, um, it's been a lot of heat of football, but I'm, I'm not going to shy away because I really <laughs> want to talk about this guy. Um, my, my last winner for the 2024 season, and it's not a surprise. I left him for you. I figured you might want to take him, but I'll take him. I'll take Roma Dunze. Um, and... To a certain degree, it's, you know, not the biggest winner in the world because he's been meeting a lot of expectations. But two big things. One is that when great players have great expectations and meet those expectations, you know, we shouldn't view that as like ho-hum. That's greatness. We just know that they have it in them, you know. So what he did this year set the all-time record for receiving yards in the history of UW football uh is really really impressive and it's amazing i've seen him projected as high as number 4 overall i've i've seen him projected over marvin harrison junior which is insane um his year has been outstanding he's done everything that you could do in a college football regular season as a receiver he was
0: in the heisman discussion
1: yeah <laughs> and you know even in the loss to michigan still had 87 yards and got you know 30 called back. He would have been over 100 yards without that one play. So the guy just showed up every single game. He was a stud. It's getting recognized. He's going to be drafted super high, hopefully to a team with a quarterback. And uh, I'm really excited for him. I love Rome. Excited to see him at the next level. Um uh, I don't know how he could not pick him as the winner because he might be the highest Husky on the board.
0: Yeah, everything you've said is true. And Coming into the season, I didn't know who to be the most excited about, but I was stoked for this team. And every single week, the Panics to Dunze combination was just like... Magic. Everything that I was looking forward to in football. It's like this year has made me like football 10 times more than I have the rest of my life. Yeah, Purely because of watching those two guys play catch.
1: And that's a great point. This year, we're talking about a lot of these guys, but in 10 years, we'll remember the Penix-Adunze year. And then we'll be like, oh yeah, we had Polk and McMillan. Oh, that offense was stacked. But it's going down as the Penix-Adunze year. He's also the guy that I am most confident will succeed at the next level. I agree. I love Penix. I can see how it could go wrong for him in the NFL. I love Polk and McMillan. I can see how it could go wrong for them. Adunze, I don't understand other than getting hit by a (laughs) semi-truck. What could happen to make his... NFL career go wrong I think he's just a sure thing
0: yeah he's got that dog in him man he's got that dog all right I will take the last pick and it is not nearly as emotional or heartfelt as the Adunze pick but and I don't even know if you're gonna like this pick honestly but we're gonna go with Drew Locke (laughs) oh that is scalding hot I'm gonna have to take off my sweater uh Drew Locke Start of the year, obviously a backup QB for Geno. Geno gets injured, and Drew comes in for a game against the Eagles, gets that win, and I think just shows he, he played in four games and was, you know, kind of came in in the latter halves of three of them. But in the one game that he started, he won against the Eagles. Huge pass to JSN. And I think he solidified himself as at least a solid backup QB for the next five years. I think he just earned himself hundreds of thousands of dollars for one start and three games where he had to come in because Gino didn't want to play in the second half. Just he like He's a winner purely from that, and he might even get a starting role with the way that the QBs have shaped up in the NFL for this last year. Because, honestly, he's better than Zach Wilson. He's better than anybody the Jets have right now. Obviously, Rodgers will probably be back. Yeah. But There's just the amount of good need. quarterbacks that are in the league right now, Like he's he might not be Gardner Minshew levels, but he's at least a tier two. If Gardner Minshew is the only guy in tier one of backup QBs, because he is.
1: Well, I, I think it's him and uh, Jacoby Brissett. Yes. I think those fair. are the two tier one backups.
0: Then Drew Locke is right there. Like, mm. I think he's, uh, he's in that next tier and I think he's solidified himself for at least another half decade.
1: Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, you're, you're overshooting the point a little bit, but the point is a good one. And that is, I think he has very much so secured himself as a backup quarterback role. And, He may not want that. He may still want the flashing lights and the starting job. But, you know, sometimes you don't know what you want. And you and I know. (laughs) Tell
0: Drew Locke what he wants. (laughs) That There is no
1: sweeter gig in professional sports than to be a backup quarterback. God, it's sick. You don't get any of the hate or any of the disrespect. You come in and you play well and people's minds are blown. You come in and you play poorly and people are like, duh, he's the backup quarterback. (laughs) You make hundreds of, thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, but you still get to eat out at restaurants with your family without getting hounded. It's amazing. I would quit my job right now if I was offered a backup quarterback position. He's locked himself in. I agree with you. He's good. He doesn't want to be a, a tier one guy. He wants to be a tier two guy. Best case scenario for him is he gets like a Ryan Fitzpatrick style Ten years at backup, and then he comes in in his mid thirties, and he just knows everything, and gets you know two or three years as a starter before riding off into the sunset. Um, I I can't believe you went there, but it's not a horrible thing
0: <laughs> Yeah, I what I wanted to get a Seahawks player on my list because I had two Huskies and a Coon, yeah, yeah, and I just really couldn't think Hard of any find winners huge winners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, hey, there we go. Our first sign of Seattle, Washington State football winners and losers—a very specific category. Yep, look forward to. The it The people next will
1: time. love it. Mm. Um, we have some more stuff we were talking about discussing. Do you want? Do you want to talk about this? We are an hour and five minutes in.
0: I do. I do because this is important, and the people need to—the people who only listen to this podcast to understand Seattle sports need to know what happened. So true. Um, so on January fifth. Mariners traded left-handed pitcher Robbie Ray to the San Francisco Giants to bring back one of our boys, Mitch Haneker, as well as uh, starting pitcher Anthony Descalfani and money from the Giants. Basically, the Giants paid us and took on Robbie Ray. Granted, Robbie Ray is not going to come back until the middle of next year. Yes. And we get Mitch Hanniger, one of our old leaders of this team, we back. love Mitch. Love a good veteran presence, too, in this locker room that's very young, all things considered. We need some older, old heads who have been in the league for a while. And Descalfani basically takes on the Marco Gonzalez role and will likely be a number five starter yes. with uh, Miller and Wu. And energy. obviously
1: has a less high ceiling. But guess what? When You guys that are going to be there. Yes. Robbie Ray has proven that he's not that guy.
0: Yeah. I knew you were gonna go there. <laughs>
1: well, oh, with the Robbie Ray hate. Yeah. He's out of the jersey. I don't have to pretend to like him anymore. <laughs>
0: uh, that same day, January fifth, the Mariners traded Jose Caballero, who we like on this pod, but he's kind of just a backup second baseman, traded him for the to the rays for Luke Rayleigh, the left fielder. Um a lot of people see this trade and are like, Who the heck is Luke Rayleigh? He's basically, if I were to sum him up, he's basically Jared Kelnick if Kelnick was 29 and had a few more years in the league. He's got a decently high strikeout rate, but hits bombs, plays good left field, and just has kind of a sweet left-handed hitting stroke. We basically just accelerated Jared Kelnick's progression five years. That's what we got for Jose Caballero, which is awesome. That's a great deal that the Mariners were able to get from the race. Um, They also today claimed... Mauricio Llovera from the Red Sox uh, off their 40, or they had not DFA'd. They they waived him, and Mariners were able to claim him. Anyways, not the biggest move. But the Luke Rayleigh move is huge. Signing Mitch is huge. We basically now our outfield is set in stone. Not set in stone, but we would. It's filled. It's filled. We've got Julio in center, Rayleigh in left, and Mitch and Canzone rotating in and out. And uh, right. And that's just, that's a really solid four. If you had told me a month ago that that was what our outfield was going to look like, I would have been stoked because we had Tremel, Canzone, and I don't even remember who the fourth was. <laughs> it was Julio, obviously, but I don't remember who the fourth person was. Yeah. So a huge step up. I really liked Desclafani; He's a better Marco. We basically didn't go all in on a right fielder. Mitch is good, but he's not all in like we certainly, would have liked. Certainly not. Um, but we got better at the Marco role. We got better at the Jared role. And we got rid of we got rid of Robbie Ray and three years of a $20 million contract each year. Um, all in all, I think it's a really good start to like the next phase of the offseason. I think they've got one more move in them and just kind of adding around the fringes um, to maybe get a better backup second baseman, third baseman kind of situation with Urias and Rojas are not ideal. Um, But yeah, I think it's a really, really good start, and I think all the fans would like more. But if this ends up being where we're at, and we can maybe make a trade somewhere along the lines during the season, I would be happy with it.
1: I need a Rosarenas. I know.
0: I got your hopes up with that, and I'm sorry. Would you, at this point, would you trade Miller or Wu? That's the real question.
1: Yes. If I could get a Rosarenas, I would trade anything. If it's not nailed down. Really? Yes. I, I don't think this was a is.
0: plays left field. That's why we traded for Brooks Raley. Or not Brooks Raley, Luke Raley.
1: I understand. Fielders are pretty flexible. We can move people from left to right, and I think they'll be okay. It's not like moving from first base to third. Um, or third to first. Um, yeah, I still, I'm still not sure about this offensive pop. But maybe, I don't know, maybe if our pitchers are all healthy and continue to be studly. Um, it won't matter as much. I think we'll be better next year. But um, with the way the MLBs look, I and was, I was really hoping for one more big guy. So we'll yeah. see.
0: I would I would be willing to trade Miller or Wu only for a better, a, and not better, huge second baseman or third baseman. Um, there was some thought in my mind that we could maybe trade one of them to get uh, our boy back from the Reds. What's his name? Um, the guy we traded for third base, Noelvi Marte. Uh, to get noel Marte back and maybe get a Jonathan India just just because. this, that'd, be, <laughs> that'd be sick. Uh but I I do like where our team's at. I think one more move is in the in the books in the works and it's going to be an interesting rest of the offseason. I know you've got a dinner to get to. Are you – any anything else to say before I sign us off?
1: No. No, I think we're good. That's a, God, what a
0: pod. What a, There was a lot to say. <laughs> we didn't even really talk about Nick Saban leaving, but that'll be for another day. Rest in pieces, <laughs> Nick. On, okay, one thing. Dan Lanning, I would love if Dan Lanning, the Oregon head coach, went to Alabama and we just got rid of him. That'd be, that'd be great. Because Lanning has had a really good couple years there. With all that being said – If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And, hey, we would also love if you could give us a five-star review or four or three. We don't love twos and ones. Yeah, go ahead. If that's anything, don't bother. (laughs) We don't like negative feedback. (laughs) Uh, You can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can also email us your questions, comments, or concerns at soundupseattle at gmail.com. You can find me, Tyler, at TyCard50 everywhere that's important. You can find John. Are you done with Mass Effect?
1: I'm done. I saved the world.
0: Wow. I don't know what well, I'm going to do now? What's the next game where you're going to dominate the world in? Uh, we're eating Lord of the Rings. <laughs> ah, okay. So a different different type of world domination. That's right. Um, I think that's it. And with all that being said, I guess go squids?
1: Go squids, baby. <laughs> yeah, we're all in on squids now.